Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Uh, today we have uh, Coach Rick Warsol with us. He is the Director of Research and Analytics at the University of Akron. Coach, how are you doing? Good, great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Coach, and I, I appreciate coming on. And uh, We chit-chatted a little bit before, and I, I asked you a couple things, I'll, I'll mainly to verify how the pronunciation of where you've been before, but kind of for people who haven't had a chance to listen to you um, or where, how did you end up at the University of Akron? All right. Well, this is going to be the next three hours of your uh, podcast. going to be the longest episode ever. So, um, grew up, born and raised in, in England. Um, so not, not too many people kind of starting off there. Uh, went through college, played college football in the UK. There's a, a growing league out there. Got into coaching and, uh, decided after graduation, I was working for an investment company that I decided I wanted to, uh, you know, try and, you know, get into coaching more. And if I needed to do that, I needed to move to the US. Uh, so I came home one day from work and I was talking to my parents and, uh, and they were like, well, just start applying, start trying to do it. And uh, I mean, as everyone out there knows, to get into college football is, is incredibly competitive. Um, and so I, I started sending my stuff everywhere. I started, I made a you know, resume and cover letter and started sending it to every school in the country. And uh, kind of eventually landed a, a job offer that I thought was going to be really good for me. And then uh, they backed out of the offer. And so I was kind of bummed out. I was like sat at home like, I don't think this thing's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I was really kind of despondent at that point. And then a job landed on the scoop. And uh, well, football scoop, I'm sure everyone hopefully has been on it at some point. So I, I send my stuff in, you know, via fax back then to kind of date when it was. <laughs> and uh, I was like, mentally, I'm thinking this is the last one I'm applying for. Um, and I went out, went to the movies, and I got back and had an, an email from the head coach saying, hey, call me. And uh, so I called him. We're on the phone eight minutes, and he's like, hey, you on the job? And I'm like, Heck yeah. So I, I'm like, I go in, I quit my job the next day and, and spend the rest of my money on a plane ticket, pack literally one bag and move from just south of London to rural Wisconsin. Where I was a Division three <laughs> GA living in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, living on campus. Um, you know, my first night I arrived, uh, I was living in a dorm and they hadn't put any furniture in my dorm room. So I get there and there's nothing, there's no bed, no desk. I'm, I'm like, what did I just do? So I slept on the floor, um, got up next morning, went in the office and, and went around becoming a ball coach. So uh, did my GA stuff there for two years. We were really fortunate to, to turn that program around and they've gone four and six, we went eight and two and then we won the league the next year. Um, that led to me getting a job at Millican University uh, in Decatur, Illinois and did three years there, um, was the pass game coordinator, coach receivers, then switched over to quarterbacks my last season. Um, we, we did okay. Um, I, I certainly learned an awful lot being in the CCRW. It's a very competitive conference. And, uh, and just, you see a lot of uh, some of those coaches now are coaching in the MAC, so it's kind of full circle. It's kind yeah. of interesting. And then uh, bounced across to Illinois College for the, my first chance to be a play caller. So I was a play caller there for three years. We, we were really exceptional on offense, broke a lot of records. Um, 
produced a lot of good players and won a lot of ball games. And then uh, one of my really closest friends got a head coaching job in Southern California and said, hey, you want to uh, move to Southern California and be an offensive coordinator? I'm like, well, heck yeah, let's, let's go do this. So yeah. I moved to the University of Laverne and, and spent eight years there as the offensive coordinator. We took over a team that had won. They, uh, for, they'd lost like 19 or 20 games in a row at one point. They'd won four games, I think, the previous four years around those like 20 losses in a row. Um, and our first recruiting class, by the time they were seniors, we went undefeated and won the, the conference championship. So it was like a, a huge turnaround from from being a laughing stock to being yeah. pretty pretty good. Um, and it was during those years that I started using more and more numbers in terms of helping game plan. Like, you know, it started off with what are the best formations that I should use against this opponent. And, and it just kind of, it grew and grew and I got more and more curious about, you know, how can math and, and stats help me make decisions in game planning because you, you often don't have a lot of time. Like in the off season, yeah, you can sit there for two or three weeks and, you know, you don't have practice and come up with some great ideas, but in season you're, you know, you got Sunday and you got Monday and you're practicing and you need to like have a whole plan together. So started getting into more numbers and, and, and comparing our numbers to what our opponent was um, struggling with. And that started shaping the direction of our game plans more yeah. and more. And I think everyone who played for us at that point, they kind of realized that like our players would get used to hearing the stats and the relative information, you know, about all these different things. So, you know, that kind of progressed through and until 2019, I got a phone call to join uh, Tom Arthur's staff. Like he'd come over from Chattanooga. And uh, so I got a, a phone call in December, January to, to come here. And there's, you know, hey, there's no job description. Um, <laughs> you, you just, we're going to just figure things out. And so uh, I've kind of created this role here and it's, it's pretty unique. I've had a lot of people reach out to me this this off season and from other colleges trying to figure out a what exactly it is I do and, and B how they can do it. Um, and so it's, it's been really rewarding being involved in, in all three phases of the game, advising the coaches on, on everything you could possibly think of. So it's, it's, uh, it's been good. Well, you kind of just hit a little bit on my next question is, what do, what do you actually look at? Like, I, I, I know you might not be able to, like, break it down in every little detail, but, like, in, in, a, in a, I mean, and you can get as depth with as you want. What, what does a director of research and analytics do? Because, like, from the, like, fans probably have a very micromanagable idea of what that is. Us coaches have a rough idea of what that is. But I, I think that, one, it probably varies by program, but two, I'm just interested, every program views data and analytics a little differently. So how, how do you approach that? Good question. So <laughs> <laughs> that's the million-dollar question right there. It, it's pretty interesting. So what I try and do is to apply, you know, the years of experience I have into looking at in-season our opponents and getting a, a very clear view of, of what they're about and how they win and lose football games. Yeah. Um, and then in the off season, I mean, it's, it's everything. Anything that you could look at can be studied. And so it's, you know, 
you know, you, I may look at, you know, okay, I'll try and give you an example here. Right, let's talk about like low red zone third down plays. Yeah. Well, on the course of your season, you may run two or three of them, you know, and so over the last few years, you may have 10 of them you've run. But then, okay, so I might go into the NFL and pull every one from the last two years and give me a couple of hundred and then start breaking them down and seeing which are the most successful concepts and flip side, what a defense is trying to do down there. So whilst there's one very specific field position situation and down and distance, you try and be the most educated you can on that scenario because it, it, it may not happen very often. So, you know, we try and apply that to, to, uh, to what we do. It's putting thought into when you're scripting in, in camp, um, what the down and distance situations are that you're using every day. Um, rather than just, hey, it's going to be first and 10, you know, we're just running plays. Like, you know, everything that we do with, with Coach Arth is, is situationally based. So it's, you know, what percentage do you need, you know, should these plays be first and 10? You know, where should they be? Um, so it kind of applies to a lot of different areas. It, applies, it impacts our scripting. It impacts our uh, game planning. It impacts as we put playbooks together in the off season. Um, and it impacts understanding uh, our opponents. So in my mind, and this may sound a little hippie-ish, I guess, but football coaches are a lot like musicians. Everyone has their influences. Um, so when I GA'd, I worked for uh, Jim Zabrowski, who's at uh, University of Buffalo now in the MAC. Um, and we ran power better than anybody else ran power. So. The rest of my career, I always ran power because it's something drilled into me at a young age. Yeah. And so that was an influence on me. Well, every coach is kind of the same way. You have people you've been around that you picked up things and you do it that way forever. Um, you know, and so you're trying to discover these influences for everybody and, and, uh, and describe them as best you can. Now, you mentioned practice there. And, and I'm, I'm kind of curious how much, not only just here at Akron, but also when you were at Laverne, how much did this data and this approach cause you to overhaul practice, both in the spring and the summer? And what were kind of the biggest changes you've kind of made during that course? You know, when we're at Laverne, we made a decision, I want to say halfway in, we'd always gone with five minute periods. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, looked around and decided to go to three minute periods. Um, the length of practice doesn't change, but now what we did is sometimes, Hey, we're going to go kick PAT field goals for three minutes instead of five. Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there was drills. We felt where it didn't need to be five minutes long. It would be, we'd always have like the drill for Indy in there. And then know that we were going to do a second drill, you know, for the rest of the period. So we were like, let's just adjust it to three minutes. Yeah. And that actually kept us going a lot quicker at practice. It was like, hey, we need to get, you know, X number of plays scripted. Um, so then I was always trying to track how many plays we could run in a three-minute period. Um, and so that then mathematically going back and tracking that and then coming back in the next day and you knew how many plays you had to script for those periods. Um, so I think it always 
factored in and we're always trying to change maybe not the structure of practice as much but how we set up practice how much we scripted um because you know if you know if you got 12 plays you know you're going to run in in six minutes you could just have the ball every 30 seconds how many of those are going to be in the middle of the field how many are on each hash how many different concepts you're going to run so it, the whole thing turns into this framework pretty quickly and you just plug in in the plays and formations towards the end um that's like the last part you do really yeah now at, at the same time is how much obviously you're breaking down how how or this you're breaking down efficiency and looking at your data. How much did you look at, because you mentioned shorten your periods there, how much did you also look at, okay, how can I break down my practices and play calling in more depth and when's a more efficient time to maybe run this or do this or do that? Because you mentioned shorting your PATs because you don't need five minutes there and three minutes yeah. there. Like, is there anything else you adjusted? Is there anything you found that, okay, this is better in a short period of time, this is better in a, I need more time for this. Um, is there a better yeah. time to practice? Is there a better time to stretch? Like, is what I mean, how is there any? I'm just curious at this point. Yeah, the the sports science piece is kind of fascinating. I'm not really an expert in that, but I know like people will get into like how long you should stretch for and all that sort of stuff. For me, what I really focused on was, you know, if if, if I think I can run 60 snaps today, how do I want to divide those um, up? And so like it was, I discovered like, you know, before it always gone like one day of red zone. Um, and so what essentially we ended up doing was we would do red zone every single day. And we improved so much in the red zone because we're doing that. And then a lot of coaches talk about, hey, they don't do red zone until later on in the week. Um, but we would touch it every day. Um, and then we would re-rack the same script the first day to the second day. And I'm sure every coach does it. If you if you felt like it was going to take you too long to correct something the first day, going into the second day, then we scratched it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, one of the things we did is if we didn't rep a play um, during practice, it didn't make it onto the play card. Now, some years we, you know, like towards the end we were there, on Wednesdays and Thursdays, we started just playing game situations in practice. Yeah. We would have seven of those things. So it was like, you know, we're going to start off as first and 20 after a holding call. We're going to play this thing out. And the, the defensive, you know, the guy running the scout team has an idea of the defensive structure and we're not using cards. And he's just freewheeling it, like just trying to mess with us. He, he's on a headset. He can hear what we're calling and he's trying to put us in a bind. And we're playing a game. Um, and I remember this in practice. We, uh, we were first and 20. We took a sack on the first play against scouts. So I'm, I'm not feeling too good about life. Second <laughs> and 26. And uh, we converted it into a first down and went and scored. Well, in the next game, we ended up in a second and 26 situation. And we converted that and went and scored. So, it, it, you know, you don't always want to think of those outlying situations, but they kind of tend to happen and you need to be prepared for them. So, We'd go through about seven situations with our ones and our twos, and we kept score of, you know, hey, our one scored on this drive. Okay, twos, you got to score. And that kind of changed the dynamic of how we did it. And, and essentially what I operated with then was I had to try and make the play card earlier in the week and just check mark off the plays we ran in practice 
and and kind of go through that. And the other thing you kind of found out was truly what plays you like to call and what you didn't. Because everyone reps something during the week. They're like, this play is going to be great in the game. You spend all week on it. And you go in the game, you're just like, I'm really not sure about this play we spent all week on. I'm not going to call it. Yeah, you call and, it like uh, two times. Every week. So then I kind of knew like, hey, I don't trust this. Like, I'm not doing it. So um, that was kind of like an involvement for us. And, and I think our players enjoyed that a little bit more because they just were playing situations out. They were playing football again. And and, uh, and our defensive guys that were playing on, on the scout team at that point, they weren't on cards. They had the ability to to be in favorable situations. Hey, it's first and 20 guys. Let's get off the field. Right? So yeah. it was... We did some cool stuff, and, and that was driven through research, seeing what trends were out there, um, you know, understanding how many snaps we would get. Um, and we would really get to that when we felt we had read the core game plan earlier in the week, and then it was like, okay, let's let's do this. So, and one of, them, one of the seven would be the what-if period. So it was like, hey, we saw this defense once from this our opponent, so let's do a whole series of just – Hey, there are three down, but we're going to go in a bear front, or we're going to go like you know four down and play cover three, something we've never seen from them, yeah. and just give to our guys and see if they can adapt on the field. Well, that, I mean, you just gave me about seventeen more questions, Coach. So I'll try to try to minimize some of these. Um, but first, one I want to ask because I mean, as you've done this data in both as an OC and at Akron, how much does that cause an overhaul to your play call sheet? Like in its uh, design or view. I mean, you mentioned obviously it changes. Okay, I'm checking this throughout the week. Okay, what am I actually running? What am I not? Okay, what have we wrapped heavily? But what? What? How did, did it change the overall look and presentation? Or did it at all? Um, I think the template was the same for my uh, play card. It just certain boxes became more impactful for me. Okay. Uh, like our opening script, I always had it in my mind that if we scored in our opening script, I was going to re-rack and run the opening script again. Yeah. And if we scored again, I'm going to do the same thing again. But then I'm, I'm kind of stubborn. So <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. But our, our offensive staff used to laugh about it. Um, if we find a formation and a play that we felt like you couldn't line up and defend. And we ran it once, let's say it's inside zone out of three by one, and we get eight yards. Then I'm going to come back and try it again on the second and two and see if you adjust. And if there's no obvious adjustment, then, and we get six more yards, then I'm going to call it again, the next play. And, and we had multiple games in a row where we ran the same play from the same formation in the second half of ball games where we were just, you know, maybe an adjustment would come, but we had the answers kind of built into the play to the point that, you know, we didn't have to do a whole bunch else to win it. Um, so we, we did that. I remember running plays 20 plus times in a row um, successfully to, to win games. Yeah. So I think finding those top formations, the opening scripts became really important. Um, and then I always had a hard time because the opening script would change. Like some weeks I felt really good about seven plays. 
Some weeks I felt really good about certain formations or personnel. And so you're trying to get them in the opening script. But then if you really like inside zone out of two tight ends, then it's probably going to go on your third and short play call. So then you're trying to organize your opening script in such a way that you don't run the same thing back to back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And, and kind of building off of that, I mean, you, you mentioned formations there. Have you found that there are, I mean, any formations that are specifically more advantageous at the college level than they would be, um, well, just that are more advantageous to run based off your data? Week to week, opponent to opponent, each team, I wouldn't say struggle, that's probably the wrong word, but there's definitely like, hey, some weeks you want to be in a two by two, regardless of the breakdown of that formation, whether it's a tight end and a receiver each way, or whether it's flexed out receivers each way. So you, you try and understand that by your opponent is, you know, if running the ball is 65% efficient out of three by one and 50% out of two by two, well, why is there a huge spike in three by one? So you, you start looking at those numbers and seeing, okay, People get in three by one, they run the ball weak, there's no safety help, there's a chance for a big play. Um, and so it's different for every team, but I think understanding that is a big part of the game planning process is like, what formations and personnel do I need to be in? You know, what are the, you know, that they struggle with the most. And you know your own people, like if you look at a team and they can't handle 14 personnel, but you're a spread team, then that doesn't help you a whole yeah. bunch. But if you're see that they can't handle being in empty, then you probably have a pretty dose of empty, you know, that week. Okay. Um, so it was always like when you would look at our film at the end of the season, I remember you'd look at our third and short cut up. I remember looking at it thinking we're really simple on offense. And then we pull it up and it was like, I don't know, 20 clips. And it was like 20 unique formations with 20 different ways of running different plays. Yeah. And I was, I didn't realize until looking at the, some of everything, how kind of complicated it did look for our opponents, even though for us it felt we're always doing kind of the same things. We're just doing it in the formations and personnel that we feel give us the best odds. Okay. Now, I mean, ha ha have you seen, I'm going to kind of combine, actually, no, I won't combine. Ha I mean, have you seen any trends, uh, like you, you've mentioned formations, you've mentioned down to distance. Uh, on this, is there any like specific data you look at, like, or or you fi have found that is more important for you to analyze than others? I mean, you've mentioned a little bit formations here, a little bit down in distance and plays that ran during that. But is there anything yeah. specific that, like, okay, I we need to be good here, or I need to look here because these tend to help lead to the more success for us. The there's like two answers to this question. The, the first part is each opponent is unique and you need to look at different data points for your opponent. Okay. So there's going to be a core of the same, but then you need to add different columns for each team um, to kind of get a real feel for what they're about. For us, I mean, there's things that we talk about and uh, Akron is like the value of a yard, you know, calculating your yard per play differential is a huge telling point. Um, so what you do is it's a pretty simple formula. You take, you know, say you ran a hundred offensive plays and you had 500 yards of offense. 
you had five yards per play. Mm-hmm. If your opponent had a hundred, you know, plays of offense and ran at four hundred yards, they had, uh, four, you know, four yards per play. So you were plus one yard per play. Well, when you're at that differential, you win. You know, I forget what the percentage is, but you win a high percentage of your games. And so, when you start looking at that, sometimes I've been in games where you're you're running like over a hundred plays, but you don't feel like you have a ton of yards or a ton of points because you're you're not getting enough yards per play, and that's kind of hurting the scoreboard. So, um, we talk about those things. The thing I'm I'm really into right now is the first play to open drives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you look at, um, I, I looked at an NFL team recently, just as an example, and if their first play of a drive was five yards or more, they scored on like 82% of drives. Dang. If, if it was four yards or less, they scored on 43% of drives. That's a big difference. Just the first play of a drive. So there's things like that, you know, where we're big into things like that uh, right now, but in season, you're, you're trying to figure out what is it that drives this team, um, what gives them oxygen. You know, that's always a good phrase. Um, I'm just trying to get a really good handle on what they're about. So, like one week, you may have a a nose shade column that you're putting in. Is this guy shading to the field, to the boundaries, to the formation? So you can have a good idea of how they're lining up. Because when you're just watching it, it feels a little random. Um, and then you suddenly realize it's always to the boundary. If it goes to the field, they're bringing blitz. And, uh, but you know, the next week you're playing a four down team and that isn't relevant at all. So you're looking at something totally different. And that's where kind of your initial watch through the film, like watching two or three games has to point you in that direction of, okay, what little mini studies do we need to do in the next 24 hours to help us prepare for game plan in this game? without taking this all day, uh, you know, without needing an elaborate presentation, just like a yes, no answer, like how do we count? Okay, now you, you mentioned, I mean, earlier, um, kind of, I mean, you mentioned briefly both kind of what your in-season and out-season looks like, but what does your day-to-day in-season look like as a director of research and analytics? Uh, I mean, it looks just like a normal coach. Like, you know, you get practice. Um, you're trying to prepare, you know, I'm working basically a week ahead of our coaching staff. So like, uh, you know, if week two, we're playing team B, like before we play team A, I'm breaking them down, um, looking at them the whole week, you know, if they haven't faked a punt that year, I'm looking at the previous year. If they didn't fake one then, I'm looking at the year before that. Um, you know, I'm trying to get an overall picture of this coach and spending a good week on them so that when Sunday comes around, I, I can not only give them scouting reports, but I can sit down and, and talk to a high level about all three phases of, of the team and what their team is, you know, is built like. Um, so that Sunday after we play is really one of the few days I'm truly on the same team as the rest of our coaches. And then during the week, I'll produce like a series of PowerPoint, not PowerPoints, but 
like video presentations like you would in huddle with slides and stuff. Yeah. And this whole situation like what are they doing two minute, third down, red zone, um, and try and, you know, give some more specific info to our coaches. But um, you know, you're really working a week ahead, so you, you just have time to kind of really sit and look at a team and try and get a feel for them. You can watch a TV copy here and there and um, you have like a big checklist of questions you're trying to go through and and get to know them. Now, you mentioned earlier about, I mean, each team's a little different in how you look at them and scout them based off a variety of measures. How much is that factored in based off who either the coordinator or the head coach is and if they switch schools? Do you go, okay, this coordinator was at this school last year and now they're at this school we, we, or, or two years ago and now they're at this school and we play them. Do you go back to some of that data and be like, okay, I'm, I need to look at these points, or does that those points just completely different because that's a completely different team? No, I mean you got to look like if if something happened, you know, even if it's like a little small amount, I want to go find it. So, you know, like you know, we we see that a little bit. You know, season openers are always really tough for everybody because if it's the same coaching staff, you feel a little more comfortable. You can watch the previous year and and get an idea on it. But um, if it's a whole new coaching staff, then you need to look at every place that staff is coming from yeah. and get a feel for them. And then, uh, you know, early in the game, kind of make some judgments as to, you know, what are they doing? If you can, you know, find out anything ahead of that, then it's hugely beneficial. So, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're looking back at those other teams. It's, you know, we do that all the time with the very, like, you know, non-conference team and you you never played them before. They got a new coaching staff. Where did they come from? All right, let's look and see what they did. And usually you'll find, just like we told musicians earlier, there's going to be a lot of carry. Yeah. yeah. Now, and I got two more questions before we go, Coach. Um, and, and both kind of relate to how to translate this to the high school level. I mean, obviously we don't have <laughs> budgets or or the time to have, have a – director of research and analytics as much as as useful as that would be for us just like all of us don't have actual directors of strength training either um but first first before i get to the overall broad question if you're if you were a high school offensive coordinator and, and obviously you don't necessarily have the time because you're also teaching classes what are like the main like three to five data points would you maybe tell coach high school offensive coordinators to kind of focus on so I think you can tell a lot about another team just by having like down and distance, the field position, the game, like those four things, which about every team is going to have in there and then grading every play, whether it's efficient or inefficient. So if, if a play on the first down gets four or more yards, I say that's efficient. If it's second down, you need to halve the distance to gaining a first down and on third down, you need to get a first down. So if you can put those things in, okay. then without any formations, without coverages, without blitzes, you can see, hey, this team on third and one gives up, a you know, is 100% efficient. You know, okay, this team was playing really bad on third and short. But, oh, hey, like third and short, they give up 0% efficient. Like, it starts telling you situationally about your opponent before you even get into game plan, which you know based on the information you have about their opponents, who they've played, you get a pretty good idea of how good they are. Um, 
then when you start adding in just formation and play family, like, you know, it's buck sweep or it's triple option or it's play yeah. action, you know, you group those together and you calculate those efficiencies. You can be like, hey, triple option is 65% efficient. All right, that's good. Speed option is 35% efficient. That's bad. Like, so with just those kind of six things, you're starting to now understand what the best formations, the best plays are. You're understanding your opponent's deficiencies in every down and distance situation. You know how good they are in the red zone. Um, you're building a pretty clear picture of them. And then the one thing you you have to understand is, like, if you're playing, you know, I don't know, let, let's say you're playing Team A and they've played Alabama and Notre Dame and Clemson in the first three games, that's three highly, you know, powerful teams. Um you need to understand that as it factors into the stats. You don't have to weight them. You just got to understand, hey, the reason these numbers are skewed is because they played unbelievable competition. And I think for any high school coach, whoever you're playing, you should know who your opponents are playing. Like, is this a good team? Is this a bad team? Are they on an up year? Um, and then with those six data points, I think you're you're off and running with, with what you want to do. Okay. And, and then my last question, more of a broad, because I, I, I wanted to hit on more of the offensive stuff first. It, how, how do you think high schools could better Im, implement, or even small colleges in all honesty too, would fit in this probably category? Because it's kind of the same ballpark with limited staff. Um, how can high school and small colleges better implement data and analytics into their programs? How, how do you think we could be more efficient based with the resources we have with Huddle, Google Forms, Google Drive? Um, some have, some have, I mean, obviously, a lot of us try to film practice, but how can we be more efficient with our data and analytics to be more successful and to put our kids in a better position? I mean, I love Huddle. I mean, that's what I had at all my college and Laverne. So that's where I started messing with it. The big thing is, is having like a baseline set of data points. And then the more games you can have with that data in, the better it comes. So I know they changed that storage settings recently, but it used to be I wanted to try and keep all the conference games in a, in, a, in, a, in the huddle. So then if I had all the certain data points in there, I could make a big cutoff of the entire conference and start looking conference-wide at, at different things. But it's having that consistency that we're going to have these data points in, in the same verbiage for every game. And and we we hired a group of students here this semester and uh, you know several of them haven't played football before. And we've been teaching them how to do some of this stuff and they're doing it to a high level. So I kind of think like every high school has to have some kids that want to help the football program but are maybe not able to play. But you can teach them, hey, is this man or zone coverage? Is this Middle of the field open, is this middle of the field closed? You know, is there a blitz? Yes or no? Like, you can teach them those basic things and they can go in and do that for you. And before you know it, with, with a group of guys that, and girls that aren't very experienced, you know, you can start getting some really powerful data. Um, so I think it's using that stuff. And then the power of huddle is just people remotely. Like, you can have people anyway doing it. So, some somebody wants to help you that can't make it to practice, they can go on there and, and type stuff in. So um, 
I think there's a huge impact ability with, with Huddle uh, to be able to do that. Um, it's just kind of taking some time and training those people, uh, showing them what to do, and then having a consistent data set. And then if, even if you have to download the film, there's ways around it in Huddle where you can kind of work around it. Um, is trying to keep as much of it up there as possible so you can kind of go back and revisit your different teams in the league and, uh, and go back and look and do research projects in the offseason and, and get an idea of what your league is about, what, why do certain teams win. Obviously, there's better players, but I always assumed as a coach, like, you know, it's, it's been when you did science in high school and yeah. you're like, okay, everything's going to be the same, but you're going to change this one variable. Well, I'm going to assume I have the same talent of players. So how can we win more games with them? And, and so it's like, okay, well, what if I change my run to pass play calling in short yardage? All right, let's have a look in our league and see who the best short yardage teams are and what percentage are they, you know, and try and factor out talent and, and get an idea of, of what it is your other people in your league are doing that you can take advantage of that, that you can also be influenced. Uh, you you uh, caused me to ask one more question there is, wh- how would you recommend coaches use, especially high school coaches, because that's kind of my main focus of this, obviously, because that's where I coach, um, to l- break down stuff in the off season. I mean, because you, you mentioned a little bit right there is you mentioned, obviously, look at your stuff. But how much should we look at, obviously, not just us for set opponent, but go back through our scout film, relook at data for the uh, how they play their people? How, how in-depth or what should we maybe focus on in the offseason to help better prepare ourselves? I mean, I would – obviously, watching your own film is, is somewhat useful, but I think when you can look at across your conference – certain situations like identify areas that you didn't think you were very good and then make cut-ups across your conference of of those situations that yeah. that's pretty useful um and, and most high schools like you know you can exchange some data when you exchange the games you probably have that in there so you can be like hey let's look at all the third and one to two yard plays in our conference and see you know what are generally what are people trying to do who's good at it is there certain plays that everybody runs that are good that we don't have? Um, is there things that, we could, that could fit? And just kind of look through and group things together that way. Okay. Um, and that's where I'm pretty fortunate here is I, I can do that with the Mac, like um, go in and, hey, let's see a, a Mac interception of fumble cut up. And where do those turnovers occur? How do they occur? And, and you know, where do you know, how the touchdowns occur, which sounds kind of dumb, but, you know, is there a, a trend in, like, you know, if you want to score more? So trying to be an expert in your conference first is, is paramount. Like, every league is different to win. It's, it's different to win the SEC than it is to win the pac Yeah. Um, so understanding those different aspects and then taking a very clear picture of, you know, who's in your league and, and what they do and then overall what your league does in different situations you know it, it just and there's a hundred questions you can answer and sit there and go through but i think that's certainly something i would be doing in the offseason doing well that was another episode of the gap down backer podcast um coaches um obviously check out our 
sponsors, affiliates below. Um, if you want to go to back at, back and re-listen to any part of this, uh, remember the tags are in the bio. Uh, just click on that; it'll take you back. Same thing if you're just listening to the audio version. The tags should be in the bio. The bio, the audio version of the podcast, all that should be in there. Uh, Coach's Twitter will be in there. Give him a follow. Um, Coach does some good stuff. Uh, they're building something good over there at the University of Akron. Um, and, I, and I think that's really it. Again, oh, also, uh, as normal, like, subscribe, um, share, mainly, mainly so they can hear Coach and learn from Coach and maybe possibly reach out, have a chance to reach out to him, um, help spread knowledge to other coaches in the game. Um, thank you again, and that was another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,